This is not a trick question if you believe in congregational rule or elder rule, but I don't believe it is congregational rule or elder rule. You say, well, what else is there? Well, uh, there's been a lot of study as of late, <clears throat> a lot of time put in by a lot of people writing and studying and digging into the Word and have come up with uh, somewhat new, I don't know how new, new to me and new to others and recent articles, but elder or pastor-led congregationalism. So that sounds like a hybrid. Well, you know, we're big into hybrid these days, right? Cars and everything else. And, and, and so as we think about that, elder-led congregationalism, let me explain. This morning, I want you to hear and understand what the Bible teaches. And we need to dig into that what the Bible teaches about who's in charge here under Jesus Christ. And uh, so what does the Bible teach about elder-led congregationalism? I've been encouraging all through this study to take notes, open your Bible, circle, underline, write notes, write notes in some other notebook or journal, wherever you would do that so that you have something to think about, to read back through, to study. Uh, it is critical that each of us understand what Scripture says about any and everything, but certainly about this business of the leadership of the church. So let's make sure as we start that we understand the terminology. So we'll look at three different terms that I want you to gain. The term elders. And when we see in your Bibles the term elders, especially in the New Testament, you will see some of that in the Old Testament the concept is very similar, though the church did not exist in the Old Testament. But elders, we're talking simply, we spent time going over that. We're talking about those that we call pastors. We looked in the New Testament also, right? It talks about overseers or bishops, depending on your translation of the Bible that you have. But pastors or shepherds, those that we typically, in our culture anyway, view as the ones that are leading us forward as a church, those who are called, gifted, equipped to serve God's people to lead the church. That's what we mean when we say elders. Secondly, okay, so when we talk about the congregation, what do we mean? The congregation is the visible group of followers of Jesus. You have before you this morning a visible group of followers. Now, I'm not going to assume that everybody here knows and loves Jesus, is following him, but we would say the bulk, certainly, the majority of those who gather in this auditorium on Sunday morning would be the congregation, would be a visible group of followers of Jesus who choose to faithfully, I say faithfully, now that would be a study for you, if your car started nine out of ten times, would you call it faithful? If your watch worked 23 out of 24 hours a day, would you call it faithful? Now, that's, you dig into that one. That would be some great preaching material. But uh, we're not going there this morning. But we talk about those who are faithfully gathered. And let me share with you three thoughts. Number one, because they believe the gospel. All right, they believe the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, 
first and foremost, the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures, the gospel that Christ died, Jesus died in my place, in your place, for my sins, for your sins. Jesus died in my place for my sins. That's the gospel. The resurrection that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 is the ultimate proof that what Jesus said was true, that what he did was true, that he was the Savior, the one and only Savior who died for our sins, who shed his blood, paid the price, the debt that we owed for our sin to a holy God. And he forgave us when we believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins. So that's the congregation. Number one, they believe the gospel. Number two, they're committed to be more like Jesus. There's not just words, I believe, but there's evidence of those words that I'm living my life for the glory of God, that I want to be more like Jesus in everything I do. And number three, the share of love and a responsibility for one another. Now, we could talk a whole lot more about what's involved in the congregation, but I think those, those three things would be right at the heart, that, that they believe the gospel, they're committed to be more like Jesus, that's sanctification, that's positional sanctification. I am changed. I'm no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God. Progressive sanctification means I'm continuing to progress in my relationship with God. I'm becoming more like Jesus the longer I live. And then thirdly, that because of that, because of the work that God's done in my heart and in your heart, if you know him, that there's a love and a responsibility that we have for others who know Jesus. That's the congregation. Does that make sense? It's not rocket science. A lot of you will, I know that. Good. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, defining the terms. And then thirdly, congregationalism. What is that? Came across an article by a gentleman by the name of Mark Minter, pastor, a longtime pastor, and wrote this up, and he talks about congregationalism. What is that? It's, and, and let me clarify at the outset, I'm not talking about a congregational church. There are churches that have that name congregational. Uh, for years, my aunt, and I say that carefully, although she's in heaven today, my aunt, not aunt, ants crawl on the ground, right? That's what she would tell us for years growing up. Don't call me aunt. I'm Aunt Priscilla. And, and, and Jane and I would go visit her in Lansing, Michigan, and and she at first was going to a congregational church. That was the name of it. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about a denomination, congregational. I'm talking about congregationalism, which is this. Number one says that the local church is not subject to any outside governance, any denominational hierarchy. All right? The local church is not under the authority of any outside person or individual or group. Secondly, the local church is autonomous. We are self-governed. We are independent. We are under nobody's authority but God's and those that God has placed here as the congregation. Thirdly, 
congregation bears some decision-making responsibility, and that varies from church to church. There is a, I used to say vague, a vagueness about the governance of the local church in the New Testament. Vagueness is not a good word. It makes it sound like it's just a random whatever. No, I would say it's more nondescript. There's, that's why you have a lot of different perspectives on good, solid, godly people who know and love Jesus Christ, who understand the gospel, who gather together and take different positions on what the governance of a local church looks like. And, and so that's why we say that varies from church to church. So those are the terms as we talk about um, the elders or the pastors, the overseers, the God-equipped, called spiritual leaders of the church, the congregation, those who a visible follower, group of followers of Jesus who gather together in a regular faithful uh, uh, time and who believe the gospel are committed to being more like Jesus. That's growth and then as well who share a love and responsibility for each other. Congregationalism basically means nobody tells Heritage Baptist Church what to do as it relates to the operating of this local church. So please open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We have been there before in our study um, of... Uh, Who's in charge here? We've, we've talked about that, but we're going back because I want you to understand again the terminology. Now, um, in Acts chapter 20, just follow along. I have the slides on the screen if you need them, but I want to just read through starting at verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you would like a hard copy in your hands other than your phone or tablet, underneath the chair in front of you there should be a Bible, and in that Bible, page 775. Now, follow with me as I read um, Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus. Ephesus, if you don't do it now, but if you wanted to study the beginning, the starting, the planting of the church in Ephesus, you could go back a chapter to Acts chapter 19 and read how Paul went there and started that church. He was there for between two and three years. We know at least two years, three months, but probably a little longer. There's a, a possibility, but that's where Paul began. Now, here he is. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. For the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I want you to notice... Paul is talking to the spiritual leaders, the elders, the pastors, the overseers, the shepherds of the church in Ephesus. One church, one church, not many, one church in Ephesus. There, yes, no doubt there were house churches around there because churches typically, certainly because of persecution, but because they didn't have buildings even this size. We're not a huge church. 
but you've seen some auditoriums that are gigantic. There's a good chance that some of the mega churches today with two or 3,000 people have more in their service or in their auditorium on one Sunday morning than all the churches in Ephesus put together. Right? We can't think the millions of people, billions of people in the world today back then. It was different. And so as we have that one church there, and I want you to notice, Paul was an apostle called of God to minister to the church, called of God to reach the Gentiles. Yes, you got it. You know that. And so that's it. But Paul was functioning when he was out as a church planner, functioned as a pastor when he began those churches. So think about what he's saying as a pastor to fellow pastors. And he goes on, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There's the gospel. That's the gospel. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul's saying goodbye. In fact, if you get to the end of the chapter, you'll see that they wept together. Verse 26, Therefore declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, here we go. Take note. He already started back in verse 17. Who did he address? What was the title that he used to address the spiritual leaders of the church in Ephesus? Elders. Right, who also we say are pastors and overseers. Right, so here we go, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Talked about that uh, uh, a week or so ago and about the accountability that elders have for one another. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. What's the flock? the local church, the church there at Ephesus, right? And he says, keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, as we look at that, he called them elders. Here in verse 28, he says, keep watch over yourselves, other elders, right? And all the flock, the congregation, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who called those elders to serve as pastors, as overseers? The Holy Spirit. God. He's the one that's involved there. As overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be shepherds. Here's all three. Of the terms for pastor. Elders in verse 17. Here overseers 
Here, shepherds who are pastors. Now, understand, the word shepherd, he's saying be shepherds. Literally, that's a verb. He's saying shepherd the church of God, which he bought. There's only one place in the New Testament that the word shepherd is used as a noun or as a title. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. The other times, it's a verb, but it's always used in conjunction with leadership in the local church. I can say that with all confidence because Scott did a word study on that. Excuse me, Pastor Scott did a word study on that. Wait, wait, Elder Scott did. Now, he just turned 32 this last week, folks. Do you know that? Yeah, he did. So if you didn't take him out for coffee, Scott, is this is what you wanted me to say? All right. Happy birthday, Scott. Yeah. But, but there it is. So the only time in Scripture, every time that it's used as a noun, it's referring to those who are spiritual leaders in the church. All right? So as we look at it here, he's saying overseers, shepherds, they're elders, all the same references to the same one person. They're used interchangeably. They're used synonymously in Scripture. That's the terminology that we have, overseers or shepherds. Now, we have a chart that we handed out a few weeks ago, and if you didn't get one, I think I'm assuming we're out of them. I don't know if there's any more back at the Welcome Center, but if you stop and would like one of these, didn't get one before, Stop and let them know, and we'll print up some more and have them available for you. But we talked about this, the titles that are used for the spiritual leaders of the church, the pastor shepherd, the bishop overseer, the elder, and how they're used, and how in this one text that we're in right now, Acts chapter 20, and then in 1 Peter chapter 5, in the first five verses, all three are used in the same text about the same person. That's a good study for you to understand what the Bible says about the spiritual leadership of the local church. So as we understand the terminology, the second thing we need to understand is the responsibility. We need to understand the responsibility that God has given to the leadership of the church as we talked about the elders and to the congregation. And so as we talk about this, we we looked at the elders, overseers, pastors, the congregation, and that's where we are. We saw the responsibility, and as I would talk to you about that, about that of pastors, we went through that somewhat, but to the elders, he says, keep watch. He says, you pay attention, you care for them. There's accountability. He says, you as shepherds are to feed, you're to lead the church. You're to love the church like shepherds care for their sheep. You're to care for them. You're to protect them. And you're to pastor. You're to lead them. You're to oversee them. You're to do what shepherds do for the sheep is what he's saying. And if you remember when we studied, maybe you don't, but you know Psalm 23. Read through it and all of those things that David tells us that our shepherd does for us are the things that human shepherds are to do for the church. That's Psalm 23. Um, Peter says in verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter chapter 5, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over, that's oversight, overseer, not because you must, but because you are willing. Verse 3, 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. If the shepherds didn't have authority, how could they lord it over the flock? Does that make sense? They couldn't. And that's what Peter says. Don't lord it over. Don't use your power in a corrupt way. That's what we're talking about. So as we look at that, secondly then, that's the elders or the overseers or the pastor's responsibilities. And there's a whole lot more we could dig into. But here, congregational responsibilities. You say, wait a minute, we, we just don't sit here on Sunday morning or, or do a couple things during the week or help out in the children's ministry or, or as a deacon or whatever. No, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And as we talk about, simply put, it's about the Great Commission. It really is, folks. That is the congregation, our responsibility, to make disciples who make disciples. Did you hear me? To make disciples who make disciples. And that's not just evangelism. That's going on. The Great Commission says we go. That's the evangelism part of it. We spent time talking. We had Thad Bergmeier here last week. Spent time with our men at the retreat talking to us about thinking. How do we reach people? Who do we reach? Those that are in our lives, in our circles of influence. And there it is. And, and as we talk about that, making disciples. But when we see somebody, you share the gospel with somebody and they respond and get saved. We're not done. We teach them. We, we see them get baptized. Because that's right. Go make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teach them to obey. We sometimes stop with the teach them. Because we think that's all it needs to be. More Bible study. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But folks, it doesn't stop there. Teach to obey. That's what Jesus told the disciples. That's what he's told the church. That's our responsibility. That's your responsibility, my responsibility as the congregation, as the body. And you know how we say that? I have the chart. We say it this way. We make disciples, more people, more like Jesus by what? We accomplish our mission, our strategy by growing up in our relationship with God. That's worship. We did that earlier this morning, I hope. We sang. But if you were singing from the heart with an awareness of God's presence and you were worshiping God, just because we sing doesn't mean we worship. That's another message for another day. All right? Um, but then growing up in our relationship with God, growing deep in our relationship with one another, the church, the congregation, the community. That's what's important. We talk about that. And as we talk about spending time growing up in our relationship with God, that's, that's your time reading the word and memorizing the word and praying and those things bringing you closer to God. And then we talk about the growing deep in our relationship with one another. That's regular faithful engagement in God's church. Not just the building, 
We say that all the time, but folks, there is really, it's not just playing with words. It's a significant difference in our understanding. This is not the church. It's an auditorium. It's a building. You are the church. And when we're growing deep in our relationship with one another, we care about the church. We engage with the church. We're involved with the church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And this is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Look at it. Spur one another. Bring one another. Provoke is the word. Some of us love to provoke one another, right? Well, that's not what he's really saying, but it is provoke them towards what? Towards love and good deeds. And then he says, not giving up meeting together. Folks, this is a verse that we always talk about when it relates to being faithful on Sunday mornings to gather together, and that's certainly part of it, but it's more than just showing up. It's engaging with one another. It's being together. It's encouraging one another. As he says, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The return of Jesus. This is the engagement of the local church, and that's the growing deep in our relationships with one another, and then thirdly, growing out in our relationship with people who need Jesus. Growing out. We grow up in our relationship with the Lord. We grow deep in our relationship with one another. We grow out in our relationship with people who need Jesus. We tell them about Jesus. We give them the gospel. That is the responsibility of the congregation. When we talk about the growing deep with one another, that's why we pray for one another. That's why we pray for Pat and Helen's son, Pat, who, by the way, is really making progress. Right, Pat? God answers prayer. Eliana, Bob, Karen, praying for her. We've been praying for one another. Gene, Mike's story, right? And, and uh, if you saw uh, the prayer um, bulletin this week online, Janet Gabriel's grandson has uh, got some significant needs. Praying for him and, and, and others. As we talk, not just the physical needs, but the spiritual needs as well. And the congregational responsibilities to follow those God has called to lead his church. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Do I have that, Nicole? Okay, well, this is what it says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Wow. That puts a lot of pressure on Pastor Mitch and Pastor Scott and me. Why? Because you, you consider the outcome of our lives and imitate our faith. Woo! Talk about painting the target. Paul did that, right? He said, be followers of me. Why? Because I'm following Christ. That's what we're to do as spiritual leaders. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. That's what your responsibility as a congregation so what now? So what now? What, what do we do? How do we think about this? Well, 
elder-led congregationalism. I told you I had quoted earlier a guy by the name of Mark Minner. I love the way he says this. Elder-led congregationalism best harmonizes the various and distinct responsibilities given to church members and to pastors in the New Testament. All right. Um, Church members believe and study the gospel, take responsibility for one another, and share the gospel far and wide. Pastors lead both by instruction and by example and equip church members. There you have it. We're in this together, folks. You see, Pastor Mitch, Pastor Scott, and myself, we are members of this church. We are part of the congregation. And as we think about that, um, we, we think about the responsibility, elder-led congregationalism. We all have a responsibility to fulfill before God. You know, as I was studying, our series might better be titled, not just who's in charge here, but this, who's in charge of what? Because God gives each of us as the pastoral, spiritual leaders, a different responsibility than he gives to the congregation. We each have our own role to play. Uh, I haven't heard it lately, but there was a time a little bit ago in the past year or so, even some commercials that stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane. Well, we all have lanes. We have responsibilities, and we follow those. Yes, there are examples of pastors who abuse their position and lord it over the church. I know that. I understand that. We know that as your spiritual leaders, as your pastors. And there are also examples of churches who abuse their congregational position by taking authority over their pastors. I, both happen. Those things happen. And What we need to recognize is that we are all on the same team. We are in this together. We are here for the glory of God. And as Jesus said, I will build my church. We are together in building his church for the glory of God. We are together here to accomplish the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we are called to do. As we word it, more people, more like Jesus. I can't think of a better way to conclude our time together this morning than to take our focus and put it completely on the cross of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world each of us, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. John 3, 16. And so we're going to focus this morning, we're going to remember 
the death of Jesus Christ. I shared the gospel with you earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. That Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we're told in scripture to remember Christ's death until he comes. That must always be our focus. Jesus Christ died for us to forgive our sin if we believe and he is one day coming back again if you don't know him today you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because your sin will send you to hell but because God loved each and every one of us that's why Jesus died and that's what we want to remember that's the gospel that each of us who know him have the responsibility to share with those who don't. Let me pray, and then our deacons are going to come, and we're going to share together, remembering Christ's death as we gather around what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your unconditional love for us that caused you to send your one and only son to die for us who were sinners, who were alienated from you, who are called enemies. And yet you loved us so much that you provided a way for our sin to be washed away, forgiven forever by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if we believe we can know the forgiveness of sin and we can become a child of God. God, thank you. And that as we gather together right now and as we remember Christ's death until he comes again, Lord, that this would not be just another Sunday morning in a month, it won't be just another traditional thing that we do. It won't be just the routine of observing the Lord's Supper. But it would remind us that it would stir our hearts to remember what Jesus did for us. That our sins have been forgiven, washed away as far as the east is from the west. And that we've been given eternal life guarantee of life forever in heaven with you father thank you for it's in jesus name that i pray amen